Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. So I am starting to get very positive emails and I'm starting to hear a lot of optimism in the industry about people starting to go back to work. They're going to site surveys. They're starting to uh, actually go look at show sites for events that are more than likely going to happen. Probably not as soon as some of them think. Uh, some of them are a little bit overly optimistic in my opinion, but I'm seeing, I'm seeing positive emails and, and there's a lot of reason for optimism. It looks like we might just be on the back end of this whole kerfuffle, this pre-exhalation period that is driving me insane. Doing the same thing every day does not suit me very well, but, uh, but here we are. So anyway, the phone calls are exciting. However, they come with this little uh, disclaimer that, you know, the, the margins, the profit margins are going to be really thin. Uh, we can't have as many people on show site. So we're getting a lot of requests for people to kind of do double and triple duty or, and maybe even do it at a reduced rate, which the person, the people pleaser in me really wants to help out. And I want to show that I can do multiple jobs, but at the same time, I really don't want to cut. I don't want to undercut anybody or I don't want to sell myself short for any reason. I still want to make sure that our, our lifestyle is maintainable after basically make sure that the post pandemic era still has the same rates that we're accustomed to. So I thought today would be a really good way to have a discussion about that very uh, serious topic that's going to be in our faces very soon. So please welcome Brian Vaughn. He is the director of lighting at Fireplay out of Sacramento. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Keep watching the Instagrams and stuff and you and all the guys at Fireplay are really coming up with some really cool interesting things you guys are adapting very well yeah we've been uh you know just persevering and you know as people like to say the word pivot we pivoted pretty hard <laughs> but yeah super happy that you know it seems like a really good trend that shows are coming back and everyone's calling and it's been good it feels normal like you know semi-normal <laughs> opening vector works again is just like oh, okay cool <laughs> oh yeah kicking off the dust and making yeah. sure that everything is all updated and the proper current softwares are uploaded. It's it's a lot of work to get back to it. Oh yeah. But it's been good. Yeah. From what I've seen from the from Fireplay online is that you guys and Nick in particular, you're not forcing anybody into something they don't want to do. You're you're kind of asking, what do you guys need and how can we do it most creatively? And I've always appreciated that. 
yeah, I think we, you know, one of the things that we really strive to do is like work with their team, work with the production managers, make it load in super efficient. Like, you know, we don't want to be like, oh, here's this really cool design, but you know, it takes eight hours to load in. Like, that's not what we want either. Right. Like you want a cool mm-hmm. design that all is also really nice on the, on the cruise and, you know, management and just all around. So she's like, how do we make things that are really creative, but yet really efficient at the same time. So like, that's kind of where, you know, our heads are at and like, we're really going to dive back into that, especially in coming out of here. Um, is this like, all right, let's do something really cool, but let's make it really cost-effective and really efficient. That's awesome. That's exactly what everybody needs right now. How much have you had to adapt your normal programming style or your daily lifestyle out on the road to match the isolation period jobs? I've only, I've been on site a few times and it's, um, you know, obviously you do the testing and you do all that. And then everyone is, you know, you know, you're six feet away lighting boards and everyone's six feet away. So it's just like, you know, you don't have that camaraderie of like, Oh, there's someone like right here and there's someone right behind me and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I've, it's been, it's been like the studio feel has been really cool. Like I'm not used to that vibe, but, um, you know, there's nothing like walking into a, you know, a blank arena, right? Like, I don't think anyone, you know, like that's such a great feeling. So, you know, walking into a studio is a little different than that, but, um, it sounds kind of lonely. Sounds kind of, it still sounds very isolated to to this term there. But you feel safe because like, you know, you have to test negative to go inside and everyone still wears masks and it's, you know, it's really clean. Everything's clean and disinfected all the time. And yeah, you feel safe in there, which is nice. Yeah. It was weird for me when I, the one show that I did during the isolation period was going to Vegas and Vegas is not knowing for being sanitary or sterile. Yeah. But there it was, man, you walk into Vegas and there's everybody washing their hands and wearing their masks and they were just pulling their masks down to drink their beers and, their drink their shot six dollar beer yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a dichotomy for sure it's like it's the the most sterile this inherently unsterile situation Place. can be yeah <laughs> that's funny we don't all go to vegas to wash our hands every 10 minutes that's for sure no no yeah but now after the pandemic you're like you think back on the times you were in vegas you're like whoa <laughs> I touched a lot of things and didn't wash my hands. Man, that was dirty. That yeah, was so like, dirty. Yeah, think of like casino chips and all that. You're just like, oh. <laughs> Those are the things we touch just without even a concern in the yeah. world, you know? Yeah, and then you're touching your face, you're eating pizza, you, you know, you're doing whatever. Yeah. If nothing else, this whole pandemic has really kind of opened our eyes to like how many things that we are touching and shoving in our face holes all the time all the time (laughs) it sounds like you are you're no stranger to new programming environments though you've been doing fireplay takes you to so many different places yeah so you know arenas studios you know i grew up in the church so i like did all that um so you know anywhere you you know can program i I probably (laughs) programmed Like on the, on the, uh, what's it? At Mandalay Bay, they have the sand beach. Like Mm -hmm. I've had an MA on that sand beach. Like (laughs) you name it. Been there. We will just continue to find more random, interesting places to put lights. That's what we're good at. Oh yeah. 
definitely. So you came up through the church where, when did you go from church to realizing that you're like, maybe I should be back there with all those, those lighting nerds. Yeah, seriously. Like, so every, anytime I would go to a concert as a kid or go to church, like I went to like the new contemporary churches that, you know, have production, like all that stuff. I was always like interested in like what was going on behind the scenes. Right. Like I've always had that even from like, you know, I went to an NSYNC show when I was like, I don't even know, but like sitting in the crowd, like, just like, I wonder what, like, how are they doing? Like what's going on behind the scenes? Like I was, that was always like what I was interested in. So like, you know, through high school, I was, I volunteered in like my youth group and like kind of really got involved in like just all production things. Right. You're just kind of like, do everything so audio video lighting um did that and then did a few like you know the summer camps and the winter camps and like all that stuff and that's where i used my first like command wing was uh an ma2 command wing was that like some church youth group winter camp and then i became an employee of that church like throughout high school like probably my junior year of high school i would say okay so junior and senior year i did that and then i moved to san luis Obispo, went to school I wasn't going to do lighting anymore. And then like still was just so drawn to lighting that it was just like, clearly that's like what I needed to do in life. Right. So I worked a, uh, a job down in San Luis Obispo at uh, Kramer events, which like, you know, if you're in central coast, like they do uh, all the weddings down there, like production. So like, you know, we would set up up lights and like, you know, festoon string lights and like all that stuff. So I was doing that, you know, every weekend, you know, we would do six weddings a day, almost just like go set up, go set up, go set up, go set up, have like two hour break in the afternoon and then go start taking it all back down and then reset for the next day. So like I was always, you know, doing some kind of lighting at some point. Um, all right. And then I, yeah. And then I left. Uh, that. So it, it sounds like at the church you were doing it for volunteer, but then at Kramer, it sounds like you were mate, you were getting a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then at church, uh, yeah, I became an employee. So like I was getting paid as like, you know, part of the production staff. Okay. Yeah. So what, how did your roles change when you went from being a volunteer to being an employee? I mean, I think you just have a little more responsibility and you like basically can't say no. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) if if they're like, Oh, uh, can you work this Saturday? You know, if you're a volunteer, you can say, no, I'm busy. But if you're an employee, you can't really, can't really do that. Did you go from like being like a, a jack of all trades? Did you go from being like general AV guy to like just being a lighting programmer as soon as you started being employed? No, I was still like everything still for the everything. main building. Yeah, like we did we did everything from, you know, setting up the stage, audio. You know, we had like someone who was really good at audio. We had someone who did like video. We had someone who did lighting. But like we all like just jumped in wherever we could, right? Okay. So you hadn't really decided that lighting was your passion yet. You were still just, you just like enjoyed being behind the scenes. I just love production at that point. Like production as a whole, right? Like that's, that's what I really was interested in. Okay. So then when you moved to Kramer, did that start to evolve or were you still just production centric? I mean, we, yeah, it was mostly lighting because like they also uh, do like a really great DJ business stuff too. So like, but primarily there when I applied, I was just like, yeah, I'm really, I like, I really like to do lighting. Like, I think that's when I started to shift to like, okay, I want to just do lighting. Right. So Got it. Um, we did some other big events in town and like that kind of stuff. 
So that was fun. Okay. Would you say it was enough to pay your rent or was it just enough to have like, was it just a summer job at Kramer? Oh no, I could, no, like, yeah, we definitely could pay rent with it. It was, yeah, we did. We worked a lot, so it was great. But what was fun was like, so I was the first one that got hired there. Um, and then I lived with a bunch of my friends. So one by one, we hired all of them. <laughs> so by the end of the first year, we all had the same schedule, right? So we would all wake up together, go to work together, come back home, and then get up, you know, in the afternoon, go to work together and come and come back every <laughs> Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So nice. Really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you knew that you were going to make rent too, because you know, like you knew exactly where and when everybody was working in your. Group. Yeah, it was just you know, all my friends were like, "Oh, I need to get a job." I'm like, "Well, come on, let's go." <laughs> so we would like this know, little lighting technician commune that you've generated. Yeah, like like we would just divide and conquer and just go, you know, knock down some weddings. It was great. <laughs> and then what happened after after Kramer? Because obviously you're not at Kramer anymore. How long did that last? I think I worked there two years or so. Um, and then I, I uh, moved out of uh, San Luis Obispo. And that's when I went on my first kind of uh, tour run with a company called CRY um, based out of Joplin, Missouri. They do okay. um, these massive summer events for youth groups that like, and I went to one when I was in youth group. So that's the way I know about it but they carry production. They have like, you know, they own a bunch of fixtures and lights and trusts and motors, like all that fun stuff. So that was kind of my first like jump into like touring, right? Like we would go to a city, set it up for a week and then tear it down, go to another city, do a week long event, tear it down. And it did like eight, seven, maybe six or seven cities, I think. Okay. But that was, was you know, that's where I like first time I ever used the hog. That was fun. Was that by design? Did, were you uh, had you been planning on touring, or did it uh, did it spring itself on you? I would always wanted to. I never knew knew how to, right? Like right. So um, I think like you know, obviously that's a Christian organization. So like that all came from the church, and uh, you know, just like word of mouth and doing all that stuff. So like you know, I was approached, and I was just like, yeah, I think that'd be great. How was so the transition from MA two to Hog for you? different right <laughs> <laughs> so i started out on a hog three for a year did a tour on a hog three and then went to hog four um so but and it's great though because now i know now i know both things yeah it's tough to describe to people who don't exactly know that the differences they're like oh well you know lighting you're a lighting programmer right don't they all just it's just a computer right like as if oh, you know excel yeah. you also know pages or numbers you're like well, yeah no, exactly it's not the same no not at all not even remotely close i mean the concepts are there but the way you do it is a lot different all right so touring as a christian organization how was how were you treated was it pretty well i mean were you guys well taken care of or was it kind of seen as a privilege that you get to be on the tour no, no we were like you know the production team was treated you know as a production team right we weren't like tied to that. So, um, you know, we all got paid and we all, um, you know, we had our own like rooms at the, at the colleges that we were doing. Like we basically stayed in dorms. Um, okay. Cause they were held at like colleges all around the, all around the country. So we'd stay in the dorms. Um, 
and then you know we had we had uh food every day like breakfast lunch and dinner it was a lot of fun and we got to go to some cool places like one of the places that i stayed at was like hope college we did we got to do that for three weeks in a row so that was fun spent like july 4th there and like did all that it was great right on i've heard another went to durango colorado for three weeks so like that was great right on yeah and you were just working, you do the load in and then you would work what three days a week and then the rest would be hanging out in Durango? Uh basically also every day there was a every there was a morning session and a night session, and then you kind of had the afternoons off. So okay. um, we would do the morning session, you know, get that done, do a production meeting for the night session, and then we'd have the afternoon off until the night session. So we kind of okay, that to was go for three weeks straight. Yeah. Damn. But then, but it was different, different youth groups each week because the event is only like Monday to Friday. I have heard different opinions for some, from some of the people who have done the, the Christian touring. Some of them, they, they're, they get the, a very normal situation like what you're talking about. And I've heard some where it didn't quite go uh, according to the same plan. It was, oh, yeah. it was a little rougher for them. Yeah, some, some of the ones you get on, it's like, you know, you eat Panera every day. It's like not, not that great, but. You know, others are really, they treat you really well. Like I toured with Jesus Culture for what, like two years? And that was like awesome. We went all around the world and like some of the most fun I've ever had in life was with those guys. Right on. Excuse me for not knowing. Is that is that a, a Christian band? Yeah. Yeah. Like a large like CCM band. Okay. Going from the, the youth groups into the bands, was that the erections through the through the church yeah i think it's all it's all kind of like word of mouth all right so but that was through like everyone like i think at that stage in my life i started to meet like vendors and like you know different different lds and techs and all that stuff so you know your name just kind of starts flying around when people are looking for that and that's you know 90 percent i think of why people get hired is because of their attitude and if you have a great attitude, I think you can get away with not being the technological genius of what it is. <laughs> That's true. Um, so like, I've just, have always had like a great attitude on site. And like, um, I think that's really like crucial to just like always have a great attitude and Absolutely. always be willing to jump in and do whatever, like, you know, in, in terms, I guess. <laughs> okay. So clearly you're very passionate about the church. Were you looking for to continue down the church path for the, for your entire career? Or did you, did you always have plans of getting out eventually? No, I always wanted to, to move on to bigger shows. Like, cause you know, church shows, they kind of have a, a limit, right? Like, right. You know, the largest church show is like the smallest country show. Right. Um, right. So like, I always wanted to move to the next step and to go on a, you know, international, like, you know, real tour and, you know, do all that. And that's kind of where I, I jumped into country music. I started working with Kip Moore as, and that's where I was doing the design, the programming, the, you know, loading in, you know, we were an opening act on Miranda Lambert. So like I would do set change, you know, run to the lighting console in front of house just in time for them to hit play and, you know, go. So you basically were the lighting team. So we had a, we had a front of house production manager. We had a monitor guy and then we, and then we had a, like, a, then we grew a little bit bigger and got like a, uh, you know, stage manager, guitar tech. 
So, ooh, yeah, that was nice, big time. Nice. We had an extra extra hand there, but yeah, that was, uh, I, I, that was fun. I absolutely miss and don't miss those days where you're just so hungry and so willing to do everything. You're just like, yeah, I I know how to do that. I know how to plug in all the lights. And I know how to program. I want to do all yeah. those things. And I think that's a large crucial step, right? Like it's going through that process and like being in those really crappy situations is how you learn how to get yourself out of, you know, really bad situations on some of these big shows. It's just like, Oh yeah. I've done like, you know, I, I always used to call some of the stuff we did like church camp ghetto because like, <laughs> like it clearly wasn't r- the right way to do it, but it got the job done. And I just think it like really hones your critical thinking skills to be like, okay, how do we, how do we do this? Yeah. Those are the skills that we need. I, even once I started programming and directing, just knowing what the tech crew is going through and the amount of time necessary for them to do it helps me relax more out of front of house. Oh yeah. And it's just like, you know, on you know, Timberlake, for example, like, um, since I've, I've gone through that process, like when I ask them to do something, I, I know what is all involved in that. Right. Like I, I, I know what I'm asking them to do. And there's some days where I'm just like, Hey guys, like it's, it's, it's not worth it to, you know, to swap this light, you know, 10 minutes before the show starts. Like it's, we'll just go without it. It's, it's completely fine. Yeah. Whereas if you were even slightly more unreasonable, you'd be like, what do you mean you can't swap that light out in 10 minutes? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it was, it was a give and take. Like there was definitely sometimes that I asked them to do some stuff where I'm just like, Hey, this, this really needs to get done. Like I, I understand that it's going to be a crappy process, but like, it's just something we need to do. And then other times I'm like, you know, Hey guys, we don't need to do that. Like, you know, go, you know, go grab a nap. Like we'll, we'll address that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really important to know the difference or it's definitely important to know what you're asking them to do. And if, yeah. and if you think it's all for yourself, then it's, it's most likely reasonable. Yeah. And there's some stuff that I could just do myself, like, you know, cause uh, in the afternoons, like they would all go and a nap and stuff. And I like, I didn't um, just cause I had like, just be awake in case there's any questions or whatever. And uh, like, you know, if a hazer was acting up or something, I would just go fix it. Like there's no point in calling them in from the bus to go and do that. Right. <laughs> like, so I highly applaud that one. However, I have, also been a hand slapped for that in the past where I came out from front of house, came back and started plugging or working on a fixture. And they're like, uh, did you not think to call us? You know, do you not think we're capable of doing it? Like, Oh man, (laughs) yes, I totally do think you're capable of this. And I, I appreciate everything that you're doing, but I also kind of wanted to just work on this one myself without calling you guys. Yeah. Like I, I definitely had that a, a lot. And like, um, you know, it, I would always go in at the same time as them in the morning. So like, you know, I would go in at seven or 8 AM with them, like as they walked into the building for the first time. And, you know, I would grab my snake box. I'd run my own snake up into the seats. I would do all of that. And then like, I would try to jump in whenever I could. And like, you know, if we were a little bit behind loading in, like, you know, I would start pinning trust together and all that stuff. And they would be on the radio. They'd be like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. <laughs> what you, what are you doing? What, like, just what? Tell me, like just t- talk to me like a stagehand where do you want me because i was throwing off their their rhythm you know they would go to like do something and it's it's like done and they're like wait so and the oh, same with loadout man. like if we had a 
if we had a really bad loadout, I would start jumping in and loading out. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, so. man. So hopefully, I'm going to tell you the story in the effort of hopefully maybe it happened to you too before. But time, I was just helping out because uh, one of my crew had gone away because he his kid was being born. So I was helping front trust and I did it wrong. And the crew chief wanted to yell at me for doing it wrong because in one regard, I was just the crew and he had every right to yell at me for doing it wrong. But I was also the director at which point, like I was above him in one regard, but completely below him, the other one. And so you could tell that he wanted to yell at me, but he didn't want me. So he was like, kind of like kid glove yelling at me. I'm like, you know, if you did something wrong, just yell at me. You, you have every reason to yell at me. I, I completely fucked that up. Oh yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a really, really, really great relationship with our crew chief Vincent. I had no problem with him telling me I did something wrong, and you know, he had no problem telling me that I did something wrong. And we would just kind of both chuckle about it. And he's, <laughs> you know, he'd make the joke. He's like, "That's why you do what you do, and that's what I do what I do." But I'm like, exactly. But I'm, I'm always trying right. to learn. Like, I'm always, like, learning from them of, like, how they do stuff. And because you never know, like, when you know, you're going to get on the next tour and, you know, someone's not doing something that they were doing that's really efficient where you can be like, hey, guys, let's try this. And, like, you know, just kind of, like, you know, just benefits everyone all around. It's exactly where it becomes the most important. Like What you mentioned before is just having a good attitude. Like, if, if you or I were to let our ego get in the way of that, like, oh, I don't. I don't pin trust, you know, then you're just going to set yourself up for a bad situation. Yeah. And I'm not saying I would do it like every day. Like I would like when, when they needed help, I would jump in and, you know, like a lot of the time I was, I was focusing stuff as trusses went up just to like be able to get it all done in time. Cause we had a ridiculous amount of fixtures, but um, whenever I could jump in or if they would ask me to help, like, of course I'm going to help. Cause like, you know, I'm, I like, I see the lighting team as the lighting team, right? Like it's not me against them. It's not me versus them. It's all of us doing one goal to make the show the best it can be. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a perfect segue into what I seeing a problem. I think it's going to come sooner than later, but people like you and I, I have a technician. I have been a crew. Ch- I've, you know, I know shows from both sides of the name. And coming up, you know, they're still going to be doing shows, but we won't be able to have a hundred people in the building. We'll be able to have 10 people in the building. Yeah. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of us getting these phone calls like, hey, you be the technician, the crew chief, and the designer or the director and the programmer, and you do it for a little bit less. Where do you think the, the threshold lies between helpful being taken advantage of? Yeah, I think that's, you know, such a fine line. So like, I think, you know, obviously a lot of it depends on like your circumstance and what, what you can, can and can't do. Um, you know, I don't, in that situation, I think I would push back a little bit and say, then, you know, then if I'm going to be doing these three jobs, like I need to, need to be compensated fairly, or we need to, you know, get the design down to a place where that is, you know, something that's very easily manageable, right? Like, I think there has to be either give and take on both sides. Like you can't have the, you can't have the amazing show and and not pay for it. So like. Agreed. I think that's, that's where my head would be at. It's just like, okay, if you guys don't want to, you know, 
pay to have someone else do it, then we need to simplify this a lot to where it's, you know, manageable by me. It's a tough one because 21, 22, 23 year old Chris is so willing to just jump up and be like a puppy dog and say, yes, I can do all of that. Yes, I can do it for X amount per week, you know, and, but 40 yeah. year old Chris is like, no, nah, I can do that. I don't want to do well, all I think, that. I think here, well, here's where that plays in. Like, you know, young Chris is like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it until you're four weeks into the tour and you're utterly burned out and you're mad and your attitude is showing in every venue you go to and you know you're yelling at hands and all this stuff and then all of a sudden you you have a reputation of being the asshole right like Mm -hmm. and i don't think you know i don't think you want that either so it's just like weighing those it's just like okay i don't want to burn myself out i don't want to burn this relationship with this artist but i also want to do it and i think you just like you know i think if it's a great manager and it's a great team then you know, you'd be able to have that conversation fairly and right. good. And like, if, if someone's not willing to listen to that conversation, I'm not saying they have to do what you want to do, but at least have the conversation. If they're not willing to do that, then, you know, maybe that's not the place for you. Yeah. Well put. So on the other side of the coin though, there are times that I do want to work for cheaper because I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Uh, a, a perfect example is when I'll have like a uh, when I'll be the lighting director on a tour and we'll get a, a one night only or three nights only opening band and they clearly don't have anybody. They don't know what's going on. You know, I could ask them for 150 bucks or something like that, but then but then I would be. I would have to do what they tell me to do or I would be there. I'd basically become their employee at that point. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, you keep your money. I got a bunch of stuff that I want to do with this room. My, my client won't do. So I'm going to do it during your show and you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, completely cool. Like there's, there's a lot of times that I'll help out, you know, people that have, you know, helped me a lot in the past, like, you know, getting to the place I'm at, you know, like if anyone of like, you know, the people that help mentor me and get me into the position that I'm in, like wanted me to do something and they were like well i only have like you know this much it's like of course i'll do that like i'll do whatever it's because like you know i i value your mentorship and friendship way more than than what you what you can pay me right like mm-hmm. like yeah, those absolutely. are the situations that i i am like completely willing to do whatever it's just like oh yeah you like you've treated me really awesome in the past like you've like mentored me you've helped me get to like where i'm at and um you know it's great like i've had a lot of those people in my life, like Dave Carr, Tony Franzen, like Daniel Cannell, like all these guys that have like really like poured into me and like helped me. And um, yeah, it's just been like, I would do anything for any of those guys. What if a church called you up today? Let's say, was it CIY? If they called you up and would you still do a volunteer summer? Um, well, I, yeah, not, not really because I like, <laughs> There is a lot, there's a lot of like paying work that I could do during that time. Right. Yeah. Like if I had absolutely nothing going on and they're like, Hey, like, you, you know, you could, it would really help us out whatever, like depending on the time commitment, like I'd have to like think about it. But if it was just like, Hey, can you like, you know, for example, um, two days ago, Jesus culture church, which is in Sacramento. Um, they called and they're like, Hey, you know, we're changing buildings. Like our, a guy that normally does lights can't make it like, 
you know, could you, could you do it? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So I go up and I, you know, change the patch and program like a couple looks and like put some buttons and stuff on for them. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like, what do we owe you? I'm like, it's just an afternoon. Like, you know, that's fine. Like you guys took me all around the world and like, I got so much experience, you know, doing shows in stadiums in Germany and like all this stuff is just like, you know, I'm, I can completely come and, you know, spend a couple hours with you getting your little like church rig set up. Like that's not mm -hmm. an issue. Yeah. Murphy's law says that anytime you want, anytime you're out of work and you're looking for work, you should totally book something volunteer wise or book a training or a vacation. That's the that's second you click. Happen, yep. <laughs> the second you click make payment on a vacation or a volunteer gig, it's inevitable you're going to get that phone call to go do something for for months you know yeah yeah even to this day my wife and i have like this 1700 dollars credit with this travel agency that we booked a hotel and then next the next day i got this you know the dream job and it's just sitting yeah. there <laughs> you're just like <laughs> <laughs> that's why i always try to travel in the winter doesn't doesn't make sense for anyone else but I used to, I used to say I was always on the soccer mom schedule, like, especially in country music touring, because like, you know, you're, you're home Monday to Thursdays during the afternoons or when no one else is like, <laughs> I always called it the soccer mom schedule. Mm -hmm. No, I, I miss that. I, I miss being the, the guy who's always going against the traffic. You know, you and I are usually yeah. leaving when everybody else is coming or, or, and, and vice versa. Yeah, well, like when I lived in Nashville, it was great. Like you'd leave on Thursdays, you come home on Sundays. So when all the people would fly in for the weekend, you would be gone. Yeah, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Especially Nashville. Nashville's just getting freaking busy. Oh, dude, it's insane there. It's overrun. That's it's, uh, it's literally insane. So one of the ones that I go back and forth on on getting paid for, and I and I I'm yet to charge for anything like this, even though I sometimes think I should is like text support at like those 3 a.m. phone calls or um, just two nights ago, I I got up from reading a book to go take a snapshot of two macros that I had written 10 years ago for a Facebook post. And it was, you know, no, nobody obliged me to do it, but, you know, I felt the need to go and, you know, turn my, turn my computer on, load up my all my stuff and go take two photos of two old macros and send them to somebody on Facebook. Oh, I don't know. They may never yeah. return the favor or not, but where do you, where do you land on that? Are, are you taking a job away from somebody who's actually in tech support or are you just being a, a, a helpful human being when you, when we do that? Um, I think it, it like, I think a lot of it depends. Like, um, you know, I think like I've known the ACT support guys, like, you know, I, I, know when I email them, I'm going to get an answer. Like, so I don't try to bother them with like little things of like, Hey, do you know where this button went? Or like that kind of stuff. Like, I'll just like, you know, ask one of my friends and mm -hmm. like that guy, like, but for the bigger questions, then I'll definitely email them and be like, Hey, like trying to do this macro, like this variable change, like how, how, you know, where did that go? Like what, what happened? And they'll always like respond nicely. And then on the opposite side of that, like, you know, I have a lot of, um, you know, friends who are coming up in the industry or, you know, whatever, who will text me and like ask my opinion or my question or like a question to me and stuff. And I'm always willing to, to help those people. Like, 
all the time. Like, as long as I'm not like in the middle of something, like, sure, call me. Great. Like, because I, I have been helped in that way when, when I was coming up and I just want to like return the favor and return the knowledge. And that way too, like if we ever do have a show where like, you know, I can't tour it or someone like I, I have people that I know, know a lot of these answers because like I've, I've personally helped them with that. Yeah. That's kind of where I lay on it. Like sometimes I will help people out because I want them to know that I know that information. Like I'm at that level. Cause I know the answer to that question. Yeah. And that way it's beneficial to both of us to answer those questions when we get them. Whereas if you, if you respond saying, well, I don't know the answer to that question, then there's a good chance on the next time they need somebody who knows the answer to that when they're, they're not going to call you. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in like, you know, never stop learning, never stop asking questions. So like, especially with Nick and I, like I learn stuff from Nick every single time that we do something together and he learns stuff from me. Cause it's like, you know, he's very like the old school way of doing it. And I'm like, Oh, you know, you could cut out those 10 button presses you're doing. If I just write this one button, like stuff like that. <laughs> he's just like, Oh, that's cool. Like, you know, so like we both learn. I'm just like, Oh, that's like an amazing way to key light, you know, carry like, that's a really great approach to that. Like, yeah, so it's, it's like a lot of that stuff. And I just like, you know, I just never stop learning. I never want to stop learning. And I really love the people that have the same drive and the same like questions that I had when I was like coming up and I'm still coming up. Like, I'm not saying I'm awesome or anything like, but like, I, I really respect like those people who have the same drive. Always coming up. We're always coming up. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy to hear from all the people that are still learning during this pandemic. Cause I know a lot of people, you know, when we thought this was going to be three weeks, they're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go and learn as much as I can. And then after three weeks, they're just like, okay, now what? Yeah. <laughs> Here like, we are. You know, 12 yeah, months I've done later. The full, like disguise training. And like, you know, even though I'm not a disguise operator, but now I can, I can speak to it more. But I'm like, hey, I would really like, you know, in show creative mode, it's just like, hey, I'd really want to do this. And I know that this guy's like kind of handles it like this, but could we like, you know, do it like that? So it's just like, and same with audio. And like, I know, and I know enough about audio to get in trouble. I know enough about video to get in trouble. And then I know quite a bit about lighting. As long as you know enough to have a conversation when somebody tells you that something is or is not impossible, you can at least. Yeah back yourself up saying like, no, I'm pretty sure you can do that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it sucks to like have those conversations because, you know, obviously you are trying to make the show the greatest it can be. Right. And you want mm -hmm. everyone else to be in that mode. Not, you don't want the no guy, but you also mm -hmm. don't want the, like, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's like insisting that something's possible when it's not. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to be the default and I think that's where like attitude comes in. Right. Like, so if, mm -hmm. like, you know, they say it's impossible you, instead of just like blowing up and saying, Oh, it is possible. Blah, 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 you just don't know what you're doing. It's just like, okay. Like explain to me your thought process on why it's not possible. Like maybe we can come up with a solution for that. If we just both have level heads here and, and come to a common answer. Right. Because a lot of the times, like the artist doesn't care. Right. Like it's up to us to figure out how we do that the best way to achieve their vision. Like, I'm not going to go back to the artist and say, oh, yeah, it's not possible. Like, I'm always going to come back with the solution one way or another. Yep, absolutely. So we are almost out of time, but this is one of the questions I, I'm still 
foggy on. I don't really know the answer to this one. So I like I like asking this one to some of the, a lot of the programmers. How much of the show file belongs to you and me, and how much how much of it belongs to clients? I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm on a show, and then I move on to the next one, and then that, that show file still exists. Does that show file go to the next programmer? And am I am I obligated to explain my theories and everything about it? And am I, am I obligated to explain how that show file functions to the next programmer? I don't. Or, I don't think so. Like you know, if it was someone I knew and like you know, I had either put them in that position or you know that kind of thing, then sure. Like, hey, this is how I did it. This is how he likes to do it. You know, whatever. Okay. But if it's a situation where I left because, you know, just indifferences or whatever, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Okay. So let's say in that show file, there's some macros that you've designed that, you know, build an entire punch show for you. And the next thing you know, that the new program has taken that macro and they're using that to build all their future shows. Does that, does that macro belong to you or is that just something that is, exists in that show file to help build that show file? That's kind of hard. Cause like, you know, some macros are like show dependent and some just help you. Right. So like, right. I know in our show file, I have like a section of like my macros that help me. And then I have a section that is like show dependent and depending on who it is, the artists, like, you know, how that relationship went, like, yeah, I'll wipe, I'll wipe the ones that help me but okay. I'll leave the show dependent ones like that doesn't, you know, Hey, if you can run, if you can like run the show better than I, if you can run my show better than I can, then you obviously deserve a kick. Like, mm-hmm. but like if I, they can I run would, the show better than you can having taken the information from your stuff, I mean, did you give them a leg up that they didn't deserve? I mean, yeah, I can see how it's like viewed like that, but yeah, I think it's just all, you know, that's not something that would like make me upset. I don't think but I've All never right. also, I've never run into that. So, okay. I'm sure there's versions of our show file floating out there. Some like, I'm, I'm sure there's a, you know, JT file out there somewhere, but it's just like, okay. You don't know how we use them. You, the, you know, you can adapt it into your workflow and if it helps you sick, but like, okay. I think the art speaks for itself, not the show file. Absolutely. For the show. Like, you know, that's why I like for opening acts and stuff, like I'm always like, Hey, what, what lights do you want? Like, how about it? Like, cause like, I know, I know my programming and I believe in like what I programmed for that artist and stuff. So if an opening act can make a better show then shit, great. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to a festival and there's multiple programmers on the same console, do you delete your show file afterwards or do you leave it? Yeah, most every festival, I'll, I'll wipe the show file off. Okay. Yeah. Just to make sure that nobody stumbles upon it or just out of just out of being polite? I think just polite and like, you know, just to kind of like anything you can do to like stop it from going back to the shop and then all of a sudden it's in a Dropbox somewhere and then it's just like you, you can't do anything with it because you don't have like that rig. Like, so it's just like, I don't know. I, the show file thing is always like weird to me. It is. It is weird. I don't know where I, I, I haven't really figured out where I land on it. That one. I have never deleted a show file. 
from a uh, from a festival rig and it has come back to me before where somebody has reverse engineered my show file and asked questions but it's only turned out good for me so far i've i've heard from other people where it's turned out not as good where somebody has reverse engineered somebody's show file and 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 monetized and taken that or taken the effects and like all that stuff which like you could do yeah but if but you know i think you know karma comes in that situation it's like okay if you don't know how to do these things and you're relying on other people's work like it's gonna it's gonna catch up with you at some point right yeah like if you don't know how to create that and then all of a sudden your artist's like it's like oh yeah i like that can you do can you make that be that and all of a sudden you don't know how to do it then you're gonna that's where you're gonna start running into issues right Hmm. Yeah, so I think it's just. I your think if somebody has uh, reverse like, engineered your stuff and they don't really figure out how it was done or why it was done, I think that's where they're going to fall in uh, into the trap. Going like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know why that is like that." Yeah, just like, "Oh, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, whatever." And like my like the show file that I use is very simple. Like, I I am a firm believer in the more simple the better, the less problems that can happen all that stuff. So, you know, I don't use a ton of like show operation macros and like, Oh, I'm hitting a macro for each song. Like I don't, I don't really do it that way. And that's just like personal preference because, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to overcomplicate it in a way, I guess. So like a lot of people would probably look at our show file and be like, Oh, this is very simple. And it's just like, yeah, and it works very good. Oh, that is refreshing to hear. I, I've I've talked to quite a few uh, from the generation from your generation that are just like, no, look how complicated how look how complicated I made this. Isn't this super complicated? Yeah, that's really really complicated. That is going to yeah. end up boning you sooner until, than you think. Until you're in an arena with twenty thousand people and the lights won't come on. Yeah, and you can't figure out which macro is firing which lua to which yeah and macro, you have a, and you have a pop star in your talk back going what's going on like yeah, yeah some, but look how variable, beautiful my layouts are yeah, <laughs> like, yeah beautiful layouts yeah some variable didn't catch in your macro or you know some line got skipped and all of a sudden it's not firing the right thing and it's just like man like that's that's the stuff that keeps me up at night so <laughs> oh well clearly it's because you missed an underscore in line 98 of macro 10002 you know and now yeah since we went from three nine point six point one to three nine point six four you need that underscore you're like oh shit yeah and like you know a lot of people do the whole you know especially with time code they'll you know they'll have the 50 buttons for every song and that every button is a note or you know whatever like i i don't do it that way like i i completely understand why people do it that way and like i'm not saying any way is better than the other but i know for me that if time code fail I would be able to play back our show the same way because everything is in the queue list, right? Like I could hit all the beats. I could do all of it playing back without code versus having to play the MA like a piano and you don't, and you don't know which button did which whoosh for which song. And like, um, yeah. So like, that's where I probably differ from, you know, a lot of the people that are my age that are doing that. But I've also, I've had time code fail before and, you know, scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and I don't want to be like fully reliant on, on code to have the show work. Those are the because hard the, lessons we learned. The band, the band's still going to play, you know, everyone's still, the, everything's still going to go. 
Absolutely. You know, if you're in the dressing room after saying, oh, I couldn't operate the show because this one time code track didn't play. It's just like, "Hmm, that's a hard, that's a hard sell. Right on, man. Well, it is good to know that somebody with such a different background in the, in the lighting industry has a very similar pragmatic optimism to myself. It sounds like we're, sounds like we've come to some similar conclusions. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I think it's again, it's coming up through some of those really crappy festival situations and all that stuff where all of a sudden the, you know, generator died that was powering the audio rig and all of a sudden you can't, you know, you don't have code anymore and stuff like that. Yeah. And you're just like, Oh yeah, I've been in that situation. That's not a good situation. <laughs> right on, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brian. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.